So as you're opening up there to John 17, let me tell you a story. One of my favorite kind of car YouTube guys is a guy named John Twist. He used to run uh, a, a uh, outfit in Michigan called University Motors. And he is an authority on kind of the mystery of British cars. Uh, if you've ever owned a British car, you know that none of the bolts match up. There's things that are in there and you're like, why did they do this? It does sometimes it just looks like somebody went into a garage and just started pulling things off of a shelf and bolting them on. Uh, he is a guy that has kind of spent his life understanding the mystery of British cars. And I learned a lot from him as Stokes, Robert, Harris, and I tried to fix up the 1972 MGB that I bought from Mike. And we popped the hood and we're like, what? <laughs> These two bolts are literally two inches from each other and they're two totally different sizes. I have absolutely no idea. And the mystery of these carburetors and there's two of them and they, I mean, it's just an absolute mystery. So I found myself going to John Twist over and over and over and over and over again, sometimes having the phone playing the thing while my greased knuckles are under there and I still don't understand it. <clears throat> and he recently retired and he posted a video of him playing with his grandkids during the holidays. And it was a, just a, a really just delightful video because normally he's covered in grease. And, you know, he's just in his kitchen hanging out. And you could just tell he was having a good time. And the name of the video was, quote, testing the Western Electric 3-pole 22A Magneto with a 6-child series circuit, end quote. A very car guy title to a video. And, and what, he was, what he was doing is he was using this thing called a magneto. And a magneto is an electric generator that uses permanent magnets to produce periodic pulses of alternating current. I looked that up. I, don't, I didn't know that. Okay? Uh, I'm not that smart. So what I want you to think about is this guy. Imagine something that looks like kind of an old school manual pencil sharpener. You know, it has a crank handle in the back. And that thing is then attached to two handles. And he's got that sitting on his kitchen countertop. So imagine that. And so what happens is one person grabs the handle on this side and then they hold hands with the others in a chain and the last person grabs the other handle, thus completing the six child series circuit. And as granddad cranked the handle, the electrical pulse traveled through the kids' arms and you could hear, you could watch them like they, they're, they're going, hey, what's going on here? And then granddaddy starts cranking the handle and there's this little tingle that starts moving through them and they all just start squealing with delight. And it was a fun video to watch because of just the joy on everybody's faces. Because John Twist, the granddad, he knew exactly what was about to happen. And so he had kind of like this smirk on his face because he knew that he was about to, uh, you know, he knew what the effects of the magneto were going to be. And the grandkids didn't have a clue. And so they kind of looked at granddad with kind of this, what are you about to do? But then as soon as he started cranking that handle, they just squealed with delight and, as, and the thing that was amazing about this is as long as they held on to each other, they could experience the same thing together. You know, as soon as somebody let go of the other hand, the circuit was broken. But as long as they held on, they could all experience the same thing together. I hope you see where I'm going with this, okay? Now, this past week, 
I had the great privilege, you may not know that this happens, but this past week we had a pastor's prayer breakfast in our coal and iron building office downtown. We were happy to, happy to host it. And it's a collection of pastors from various denominations and traditions in our community. And we try to get together multiple times a year to try to just catch up, pray together, think about how we can work together in, the, in our community for the cause of Christ. And it just reminds me over and over again, y'all, small towns are the best. They're just the best because you can get together with other pastors and like the, our city's not big enough for us to be all cloistered up. Like we kind of have to get along. And so it is just a joy to be able to be uh, with these others uh, in our town. And we, we, we just, one of the things I enjoy about these meetings is just remembering the tie that binds us all together. And that tie is Jesus and our shared call to ministry in DeKalb County. We've all been, we all love Jesus, and we've all been called to serve this county in our various ways. And it's just good to be reminded that you're not alone. And for an example of just what a blessing this kind of community has been to me, you remember when COVID was raging, and, and the, the, the information was coming out, and we were all trying to figure out what to do. I remember having one of these meetings over at Wills Valley, and we were able to, we, we, got, we met over there because they could move the chairs out of the way and we could sit 47 feet apart from each other, but it was still just good to be together. And I remember us just sitting there talking and it was great to be with these fellow pastors and just to be reassured that they were just as clueless as I was about how to handle this. We were all going, hey, what are you doing? Or what do you think? And we were all going, I don't know. And that made me go, okay, I'm less crazy now. I'm not the only one. And you think about these times where you may have been out and about. Have you ever been away from home and met another Christian? You know, you may have been away from you in another city or at a conference or at a sporting event or whatever, and you run into someone and you just know that they love the Lord. You ever had that experience? Isn't it interesting how you immediately have a lot in common and you kind of feel your heart just kind of drawn to them? You ask the question like, why? Why, why do we have that feeling? Why do we have that experience? To reference the earlier illustration, we're all hooked up to the same spiritual magneto together. We're all kind of joined together and the spirit is moving and you're, you're in the same family with them. You have the same Lord. You could live in different parts of the country and be from a different church tradition, but you're united to the same vine by the Holy Spirit. And you just have a lot in common with them. For example, I would go every year when I was working for RTS, I would go to these big major conferences. And one that happened every other year is Together for the Gospel. And so it was, as you can imagine, it's a bunch of people from a bunch of different stripes of Christianity just getting together to be together. There's a lot of pastors who were there. And one of the most stunning things about this is we met in downtown Louisville at this big uh, coliseum. And the music was brutally simple. It was one guy and one piano. And there were several thousand of us in this room. And these great hymns of the faith would begin to be sung, and all of us are just singing our guts out. And you can actually go and find, you can pull up a recording that they, they made a recording of this, and you can, you can get it. It's a whole album. And it's just a bunch of different people from a bunch of different states and a bunch of different backgrounds all praising the same Lord together. And it's just powerful. It's just beautiful in its simplicity. Another example of this is I was at one of Stokes' golf tournaments last year when he was playing on the team. We were in Huntsville, and we were just walking around talking, and uh, we were just kind of walking around and talking, and I, I met another uh, lady who Stokes was playing in this group together, 
And I just ended up just kind of talking to her, and I found out she goes to a local PCA church in Huntsville. We immediately had tons in common. And we were like best friends over the next two holes. We, we kind of were just talking and meeting together, and it was, just, it was just great. And when you think about these different interactions and these things that you may, these encounters that you may have had, what if I told you that Jesus prayed that encounters just like this would be a powerful witness to a lost and fallen world? What if the church looked like that Magneto video where we're hanging together and we're being together and we're enjoying our Lord together? What if that actually is supposed to be a powerful witness to a watching world? Let's find out. Let's look at John 17 starting in verse 20, the third section of our high priestly prayer, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word. These are the words of Jesus. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I'm grateful for that, and I hope you are as well. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to his word. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and the hope of the gospel and the hope of the intercessory work of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take these words and apply them to our lives. Oh, Lord, help us to love you more and understand you more. Lord, convict us, change us, challenge us if it's your will. And Father, help us just to see you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As you may know, for the past two weeks and now for this third week, we've been looking at the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. And there's three major sections to this prayer. Two weeks ago, we looked at verses 1 through 5. Last week, we looked at verses 6 through 19. And then today, we're looking and finishing up verses 20 to 26. And as we've mentioned before, the pattern of this prayer follows a very important pattern that we see in Leviticus chapter 16. Again, reminding us the Old Testament and the New Testament, they come packaged together. And what we see here is a pattern that governed the ministry of the Old Testament high priest on the annual day of atonement. The Old Testament high priest's intercession on the day of atonement had three major parts. Number one, he prayed for himself and the ministry that he was about to do. That mirrors verses 1 through 5 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. The second thing that he did was he made intercession for his fellow priests who were about to serve with him in the temple. That mirrors verses 6 through 19 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. Finally, what the Old Testament high priest would do is he would also make intercession for all the people of God. And that's what we see here in verses 20 to 26 in the high priestly prayer. So we're watching this pattern as, as it comes through. 
In today's passage, we read the closing words of the longest prayer in the New Testament and hear Jesus interceding for all God's people, even the future church. That's us right here and now. And so, what do we hear him praying for? That's the big question. That's been our big question for the past few weeks. As we look at the prayer of Jesus, what is he praying for? We're going to see two things this morning if you're a note-taking type of person. We're going to see, number one, Jesus prays for unity in their witness to the world. Unity in their witness to the world. This is verses 20 to 23. Secondly, Jesus prays for reassurance of their eternal place in his presence. So he prays for their unity and then he prays for their reassurance. I'll, I'll restate the second point here in just a minute. Let's look at that first point. Jesus prays for unity in their witness to the world. Note the present and future aspects found in verse 20. Look at what Jesus says. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And Jesus prayed for all who in the future would be brought to faith through the ministry and testimony of the disciples as they were about to be sent out into the world. He says, I pray not only for these who are with me, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, through their testimony. Here's what Sproul said in his commentary that I thought was helpful. He said, anyone who is a Christian today is in that state of grace because of the fidelity of the apostolic community in broadcasting the teaching of Christ and bringing it to the world so that it has been faithfully passed down to our generation. In a very real sense, we as believers were in the mind of Jesus on that night he prayed this prayer of intercession. So when you think about this, the inter this intercession has continued to this very moment as Jesus continually prays for his bride, the church, as their great high priest. He never falters in his intercession. And this gives us great hope. You know, sometimes we'll tell somebody, yeah, I'll pray about that. And then what do we do? We forget. Jesus never falters in his intercessory prayer for his people. Ever, never, never, never. We may falter, but he never will. And that gives us great hope and comfort. That's good news for us. Verse 21 gives us insight into the unity Jesus prayers, prays for. And this pattern is the love between the Father and the Son. So this is the pattern that we see. And when you stop and think about it, despite the disagreements on this point or that, and I'm not discounting that some of those matter tremendously, we as Christians still have a lot in common with each other because a new fellowship is formed in Christ, and this should be evident to the world around us. As Jesus said, so that the world may believe that you sent me. There's just this new community and family and body that gets formed in Christ. And again, here's what Sproul said. The love, concern, and compassion that we have for one another should be so atypical of the world that they serve as definitive proof that Jesus was not merely a moral teacher, but the second person of the Trinity sent by God. Now we think about the state of the church, we think about our own lives, we can all admit that sadly this has not been the case. And I pray that we would look for ways to partner with other faithful churches for the cause of Christ here in our community and around the world. That we would look for ways to be able to partner together and to work together. As Ephesians 4, 2 through 6 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. And when we look at verse 22, again, this is not just a call to bear ecumenism just for the sake of getting along. This is a call for us to remember that the union that we share by being united to the same vine. Remember, I'm the vine, you are the branches. This is a call for us to remember that union that we have in the Spirit. And this bond of peace between Christians is a reflection of God's glory in a God-hating world. The fact that we can love each other and be together. We may disagree on some things, and some of those things do matter. I'm not discounting that. Please hear me when I say that. But the fact that we have a ton in common, and we have a, a, a common Savior and Lord, and it is just a, a witness as we see a world that hates God, and we see Christians getting together and just loving each other and trying to be patient and give deference to one another. It's a, it's a good and wonderful thing. And in verse 23, we see that Jesus prays that this unity would be a powerful evangelistic witness. Note what he says. He says, that they may know that they may know that you sent me. That they may look around and see that I'm not just some great moral teacher. That I actually have come from you. Jesus constantly throughout the scriptures said, no, I'm the son of God. And people have hated him for it. But he quadruples down. He quintuples down. No, no, no. I am the son of God. And here Jesus is saying, may this unified body of believers out in the world, may they be a reminder that I actually am not just some self-help guru. I am actually the Son of God come to change the hearts of sinful people. May they know it. Here's what Ketty said. Furthermore, he, speaking of Jesus, prays that they may be persuaded that the gospel is real, that God is real, and that salvation in Christ is their deepest and most urgent need and the answer to their true predicament as sinners and be drawn to the Savior. Think about this. We all wonder and struggle with, how do I share my faith? What's that look like? What if I say it wrong? What if I stumble over my words? We're all racked with fear in that sense. One of the most powerful evangelistic tools you have is your own testimony of how God changed your heart. And how you have grown in your gratitude for the grace of God. That's one of the most powerful evangelistic tools that you have. In the sense of, man, I used to be like this, but by God's grace, he's been kind to me. And I've grown, and he's changed my heart. And if, and if, and if not your own, think of the testimonies of Abraham, and David, and Zacchaeus, and Levi the tax collector, and Saul, the former persecutor of the church, who... God gave him a new mission and he took the Greek name Paul and went out and shared the gospel with those that he once hated. You think it's just amazing when you think about it. Now if you're here and you do not know Christ, I am so glad you're here this morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. As you sit here, I want you to look around the room and see the faces of former enemies of God who were called, changed, and are now counted as sons and daughters in God's family by his grace and mercy and love. And as you look around and you realize this, also realize something else. None of us deserved it. Not a single one of us deserved it. Not even the guy up here. None of us deserved it. We all were once enemies of God, but he moved towards us in grace and love. This is why we gather together and we look to the cross of Christ with thanksgiving. This is why we gathered. We don't gather together as perfect people who have it all together and we've won life's lottery and we figured it out. We gather together because we look to Jesus and Jesus alone.
and we glory in the cross of Christ and say, look at what Christ has done. We don't say, don't look at me, look to Jesus. That's the cry that we have. If you are here this morning and you do not know Christ, I urge you to repent of your sin and your rebellion against God and to look to Christ by faith for salvation and receive the redemption and hope that we as Christians share. We don't come to you with an air of superiority and say, go figure your life out because we figured it out and we're better than you. We're not saying that at all. We're saying we are sinners in desperate need of Jesus. We cannot save ourselves and Christ has come to us. Please come, repent of your sin, turn to Christ and be a part of our family. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and turn. It's awful news. You're sinful. You need a savior and you can't save yourself. It's awful news. But the good news of the gospel is you don't have to save yourself. We look to Christ. Turn to Christ. Rest in Christ. Trust in Christ. You see, Jesus prays that the world would know something about him through the lives of his people. But he also prays not only that the world would know something, but that the church would know something too. That's our second point. Our second point is Jesus prays that they would have a reassurance of their eternal place in his presence. That's a lot of words, I get it. Jesus prays for their reassurance of the eternal place that they have in his presence. This is verses 24 to 26. Look at verse 24. It opens with the same word that he began his prayer with all the way back in verse 1. And that word is Father. This takes us full circle as Jesus concludes his intercessory prayer. And it includes a bit of urgency. Did you not pick that up in verse 24? Look at what Jesus says. Father, I desire that they also. That's that, that there's a, a bit of urgency here. Father, I desire. The Greek word there, thalo, indicates urgency and passion for a stated goal. Father, I desire that something would happen. I'm, I have an urgency. I, I want to see this happen. So what is that stated goal? That those given to him by the Father, united to him by the Spirit, may be with him in glory forever. Let that sit there and sink. That's Jesus' prayer. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. What an amazing verse. Again, here's what Ketty said. This is a great quote. Okay, so if you've tuned out, tune back in. This is a great quote by Ketty. The end is not in doubt. Every single person whom God intends to save will come to saving faith and then to glory. God does not plan and Jesus does not secure only the possibility of salvation. He chooses he gives and he saves. The roster of the redeemed will be full. All that the Father gives will come to Christ. None of these will perish. None will be plucked from Jesus' hand. The Lord will bring to glory every soul he intended from eternity to save. End quote. He will do it. Everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life that was written before the foundation of the world, every single one of them will come to saving faith because God will call them. 
in his due time according to his sovereign plan. And the, and the reassurance that we have, not a single one will go missing. I know my sheep, I know every one of them. And not a one of them is going to get snatched out of my hand. Not a one. That's amazing. That is amazing. And again, I told you, and we've mentioned before, imagine you're a missionary. Imagine you're like me going to a college campus, a bunch of people you don't know, into a country or a city or a state you've never been before. What gives you hope? What gives you hope is that it's not incumbent upon you to do it right, say it right, act right, or be perfect, or else somebody's going to go to hell because of your misgivings. What it says is, go be faithful, and go put the word of Christ in front of them, and trust the Holy Spirit. And so I walked onto a campus, I didn't know a soul, but I said, Jesus, you called me here, and you would not have called me here if your sheep are not here, and help me just to go be faithful and to trust your word. And just be faithful to set the table. I can't make a meat, but I can put the bread of life in front of them. And just go be faithful. It's an amazing thing when we think about what the Lord calls us to do. Again, we see the glorious doctrines of particular redemption and the preservation of the saints. Why? Because God calls, God saves, God keeps all by grace. It's an, that's the amazing part of the gospel. Now, what happens when something joyous happens in our lives? Think about engagement, a promotion that you might get, a wonderful surprise gift, a new car, graduation, a hard-fought win. What happens when something joyous like this happens in our lives? What do we do? We share the news, don't we? We post it. We're posting videos. We're hanging signs up. We, all this kind of stuff. Like Think about a graduation. Hey, they finally did it. Let's put something in the paper. Let's put a sign up in the front yard. We, we share the news so that others can rejoice with us. Did you catch in verse 24 that Jesus wants to share the joy of his ascension into heavenly glory with us, his church? I want them to rejoice and be with me. Again, Ferguson said, Sinclair Ferguson said, Facing the great crisis of his life, Jesus was thinking about us. His will is that we should see him in his glory. That's his desire for his church, for his people whom he saved. When the great day of the Lord arrives and he returns in glory as the king to judge the living and the dead, it will be a celebration like no other and Jesus wants us to be there with him. The reason he came, the reason he suffered, the reason he died is to rescue and redeem his people, his bride, blood-bought sinners like you and me. Jesus said, I want them there with me when this great celebration happens. Think about that. All those given to him by the Father. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15-18 For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We will always be with the Lord. Let me encourage you of that. I'm commanded to. We'll always be with the Lord if you're in Christ. What an amazing thing to think about. Come what may, we will always be with the Lord. 
Revelation 19, 6 through 7. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The great hope that we share together as the family of Christ and the family of God, Christ wants His people to be with Him, to eat and drink at His table in His kingdom forever. If you are a Christian and you hear these verses, can't you almost see the chair with your name on it at the banqueting table of the Lord? You walk in and there's a little, little name card right there with your name on it. Can't you just almost see it? You get verses like a little peek behind the curtain where you're like, God, it's so real I can almost touch it. And you think, the real question that we ask is, Lord, why would I ever be a guest? Lord, why would you ever... Why would you ever invite me to your banqueting table? And the answer that we get is because his banner over us is love. In love he sought us. In love he called us. By his grace he's called us. And he'll keep us to the end. And the great hope that we have is there is this great banqueting table. This great marriage supper of the Lamb that is going to happen. And if you're in Christ, you've got a reserved seat. (laughs) Let that soak in for a minute. I read that I read that quote and was like, that's amazing. Look at verse 25. Again, Jesus identifies with his people before the Father as he intercedes with them and shares his heart for them before the throne of grace. Again, here's what Ketty said. The gift of, etern- of future eternal glory arises from the past eternal love of the giver. The personal salvation of each believer turns upon God's eternal purpose of love and his only begotten Son, The Christian salvation is no product of time and human development, but the fruit of everlasting love of the sovereign God from all eternity. That's what it rests in, the love of God the Father. Your work, your effort, your family name, your bank account, your spiritual pedigree, your social connections, etc., 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 all those things are excluded from the equation. 2 Corinthians 1, 20-22. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And He has anointed us and who has also put His seal upon us and given His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That you are mine and I'm going to walk with you and your place is secure in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What hope, what everlasting hope, despite the circumstances, we have that. Because we have Christ. And he said, you're mine. And that's good enough for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Again, as we move forward here, this is, this is how we know that this gospel message was not created by humanity. Because the king willingly lays down his own life to save his enemies and to bring them into his kingdom. Those who don't deserve it, get in by grace. Verse 26, Jesus closes his prayer by restating the purpose of his earthly ministry and the theme of his prayer, which is the glory of the Father. Look at verse 26, he said, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You know what the very first verse 
in, in the high priestly prayer is and what it says in verse 1. You can probably look over there. Jesus said, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now how is this glory going to happen? Jesus, at the end of this, him and his disciples are going to walk out into the night. And he's going to go to the cross. That is where the justice of God and the love of God meet for a bunch of sinful people like you and me. And his glory is made manifest. And we're going to read about that in the coming weeks, which is amazing. But Jesus promises to make his Father's name known among his disciples and the future church. Why? He says, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And so as we close the high priestly prayer of Jesus, let us remember these things. And a hat tip to Sinclair Ferguson for making this list. Just as Jesus prayed for Peter, he has prayed for you. The Father always hears his prayers, not the least this prayer for you. He has made known his Father's name to you if you were in Christ by faith and brought you into his family. Jesus loves you with the love his Father has for him. The beloved Son of the Father dwells in you through his Holy Spirit. He has given you his word, and he has made known to you his will. And he wants you to be with him to see his glory. And all of this is recorded so that his joy might be in you and your joy might be full. All of this is a gift of God's grace. All of this is a gift of his mercy. And as Christ ended this prayer, he walked out into the night with his disciples and entered into the garden knowing full well that the cross laid before him, but also knowing full well that he was about to fully and forever secure the redemption of those the Father gave to him. A bunch of rebels like us, chosen by grace, called by grace, kept until the end by grace, and also prayed for in heaven right now, now and forevermore, our great high priest interceding for us in heaven. That is good, good, great news, is it not? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for passages that remind us again, O Lord, of your unceasing intercession for your church as our great high priest. Lord, that you not only pray this prayer and you function as our great high priest, you are both the priest and the sacrifice. Lord, you are the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And you are also the high priest that goes and intercedes for us. Father, what that means is that you are everything. You are our all in all. You are our priest, you are the lamb slain, you are both the, the sacrifice and the one who is interceding for us. And so, Father, we come to you with two simple words on our lips. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Thank you for your continued prayer for your church. Thank you for going out into the night with the cross laying before you and willingly giving up your life to rescue and redeem all that the Father had given to you. And we rejoice and rest in the fact that not a single one of your sheep whom the Lord has given you, your Father has given you, not a one will go missing. And you will keep them to the end. And no one will be able to snatch them out of your hand. And so, Father, help us to lean into that and to rest in that, regardless of the circumstances. Lord, help us to rest in you and trust in you and look to you. That is our humble and simple prayer. And we ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.